Well, I want you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Uh, we're going to look at the first 12 verses this morning. And then tonight, before we take the Lord's Supper, I'll spend just a few moments on verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Now, remember, we, we've been in, uh, studying the life of Hezekiah. Uh, we took a week off last week. But other than that, we've been studying the life of Hezekiah. Now, remember, when Hezekiah came to reign... He came to reign following his, his dad, uh, Ahaz, who had, was a wicked, wicked king. And Ahaz had led Israel into deep, deep idolatry. Uh, matter of fact, Ahaz did everything he could to stamp out uh, the worship of Jehovah and to the point that, remember, he nailed the doors of the temple shut and filled the temple and all of Jerusalem with many, many idols and had partnered with the Assyrians, and most of the idols that they worshipped was the idols of the Assyrians. And so uh, when Hezekiah came to reign, his first agenda, his first priority as king was to bring Israel back to a place of worship. And, and now understand, he did this in light of the fact that there was a great threat from the Assyrians against Israel. And you would think, well, wait a minute, as king, his first priority would be to protect Israel. Oh, no, no. His first priority was to worship God. And he understood that if they got that priority right, God would be their protection. And so this is what Hezekiah set out to do. So we looked at chapter 29, and what we saw in chapter 29 was Hezekiah first got the priests together to cleanse the temple of God. And as they cleansed the temple of God... They began to cleanse themselves. And so they got all the, all the, they repaired the doors of the temple. They got all the idle uh, uh, things out of the temple and they began to cleanse the temple. And then when they finished, they began to cleanse themselves. Now, not all of them were cleansed yet, but they had brought sacrifices of uh, burnt offerings, which pictures surrender. They brought sin offerings, which pictures, uh, that of dealing with their sin or covering their sin. And so they brought all these things to try to get rightly related to God. Now you say, why? Because you can't worship unless you're rightly related to God. I mean, you cannot worship unless you're rightly related to God. And that involves both things. It involves surrender of your life, and it involves, just like what they brought, that Jesus had to be your sacrifice, and Jesus' blood had to deal with your sin. And so those two things are requirements for worship. And that's what Hezekiah made priority. Now when we get to chapter 30, he now is going to prepare them to take of the Passover. Now the Passover was something in which God had ordained and ordered of the Jews to take one time a year, first month of every year, on the 14th day of the first month. Now when, they, when God deemed him to take of that Passover, it was meant to celebrate and to be reminded of the truth of what God did when they were in Egypt. And if you remember what God did when they were in Egypt, they were in Egypt, captivity uh, to Egypt. And if you remember what happened, God brought forth and told them to prepare a lamb. And that lamb was to be without spot and without blemish. And when they slew that lamb, they were to take the blood, put it upon the doorpost and upon the side post, and the death angel would pass over and would not touch any house that had the blood. And from there, Pharaoh, after the death of, of all those of Egypt, Pharaoh would come and finally let God's people go. And now here is Israel, no longer in bondage. Now, guess what? They're now free. 
They've been set free. Why? Because of the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so this is what the Passover represents. Now, there were three feasts that were required for all of Israel to come to Jerusalem to be a part of. The first was the Feast of the Passover. All right, now for you and I, the Feast of the Passover uh, represents the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. Aren't you glad today that he's our Passover lamb? And so you and I call it the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Why? Because they were celebrating this as looking back, but yet looking forward to what God was going to do. We're just celebrating and looking back what God's already done. And so therefore we call it the Lord's supper. Now, here's the thing. The, The other thing that they were required to come to Jerusalem of was the Feast of Pentecost. Now, for you and I, the Feast of Pentecost represents Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God at Pentecost came and take His dwelling inside of man. And then the third feast they were required to do was the Feast of Tabernacles. And that represents there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will come and set up His kingdom rule on the throne of David and you and I will rule and reign with Him. And so what were the three feasts they were required to come to Jerusalem to do? Well, the Feast of Passover, which is, pictures our, our, our salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection. The Feast of Pentecost, which pictures our enabling to live the Christian life. And the, peace, and the Feast of Tabernacle, which pictures our reign and rule with Christ one day. Aren't you glad that God's got it all planned out? Now, but to do this, He had to get them ready. And so what this chapter deals with is the Passover specifically. So with that being said, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Look at verse number 1. And Hezekiah sent all to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh and that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover over until the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time, in other words, the first month, what God had ordained, because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. And they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, that there should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it of a long time in such a sort as it was written. In other words, as God had laid it out. So the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah, and according to the commandment of the king, saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you just take this passage. Lord, you just uh, impregnate us with truth. You'd penetrate us with truth. And Father, there would be a deep, deep yearning by your Holy Spirit within us to not only desire to take the the Lord's Supper, but, Father, a deep desire to be ready to take of it in a worthy fashion. And, Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for what you do and how you do it in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look first with me at verses 1 through 6 at the reporting, the reporting of the Passover. Now, here's what happened. 
The reporting of the Passover took place in this way. Hezekiah sent this letter out to all of Israel. Now he sent the letter out saying for Israel, and it's an invitation if you will, come to Jerusalem as God had designed, as God had uh, declared, come to Jerusalem and let us take of this ordinance together. Now here's what you need to understand. The Passover was intended to be a corporate thing. Now you say, what do you mean a corporate thing? It wasn't to be an individual thing. It was to be a, an ordinance in which all of Israel would do together. And so the ordinance was that they were to come to Jerusalem to take it. Now he said that they were going to take it on the seventh, second month. Now you say, why the second month? I thought God declared it was to be taken the first month. He did. But yet God made provision in case you wasn't clean or in case you were not had, had been able to journey back to Jerusalem in time, God made a provision where you could take it the second month. You find this in Numbers chapter number 9. Now I want you to listen to this, these two verses because it's essential to you and I taking the Lord's Supper tonight. The Bible says the reporting of the Passover, the Bible says in Numbers chapter 9, verse 10, 11, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, if any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body or be in a journey afar off, you shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The 14th day of the second month at even shall you keep it and eat the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So what was God's provision here? Well, God said, listen, you're to take it the first month unless... Unless you're not clean. Unless you're unprepared. And if you're unprepared or you have to journey to Jerusalem and haven't got there yet, he said, then I'm going to make a provision in my grace that you take it the second month. Now, this, now here's what Hezekiah's doing. Hezekiah's having to get in on God's grace. Why? Because they wasn't ready. Matter of fact, we're, we're, we're going to read in just a minute that many of the priests had still not sanctified themselves sufficiently. And many of the people who this went out to had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. And so Hezekiah sent this out not only to the northern kingdom, but also the southern kingdom. Now, why is that important? Because they were at risk against each other. I mean, they were at odds against each other. The, the Israel of the southern kingdom didn't like the, the Israel of the northern kingdom, the tribes of the northern kingdom, and vice versa. As a matter of fact, they, they were very much bitterness between them. But yet Hezekiah sent the, the letter out to all of them. Why? Because God had ordained that all of Israel come together to take of the Passover. Now listen to what I'm about to say. There's two things you need to learn from what I just said. Number one, you can't take of the Lord's table if you're not here. Boy, that's profound, isn't it? Number two, it's meant to be an ordinance of unity. Unity with him, unity with others. So this is, this is what we're dealing with here. Now listen, there's only seven times in Scripture that we have record of the taking of the Passover. Now we know we took, they took it much more than that, but only seven times is it given in Scripture. The first time, of course, is in Exodus where God delivered them out of Egypt, which we talked about. The second time was in the wilderness. One time in 40 years God allowed Israel to take the Passover in the wilderness. One time. Why not any other time? Because they were supposed to take it every year. Because they were not in the will of God. And they couldn't take it if they wasn't in the will of God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? All right. The third time was when they got into Canaan. When they went across the Jordan, came into Gilgal, now they're walking in the will of God. They're walking in the provision of God. They're walking in the ways of God. And guess what God said? First thing you do, take the Passover. 
All right, fourth time was right here. The seventh time, the last time, is when the Lord gathered his disciples together in the upper room. And what was the Lord about to do? He was about to provide a way of reconciliation between man and God. So see, everything around the Passover was about unity. That's the reason I tell people all the time, please, I beg you, don't take the Passover or the Lord's Supper if you're out of fellowship with somebody else. Get in fellowship with that person before you take the Lord's Supper because it's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. All right, now, so, so here's what's taking place. So look at these things with me. I, I just want you to see a few things. The first thing is the scope of the proclamation. So as this, this letter went out to all of Israel, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, the scope of it was that, that Hezekiah would bring all of Israel to Jerusalem to worship him. Because remember, what was his heart? To reestablish worship in Israel. That was his heart. Now the scope of this proclamation leads to the strategy of it. The strategy is if all Israel comes together, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, they come together and have one common heart of worship. How many agree that brings unity? Can I tell you the basis of unity? Truth. Any other thing is not the basis of unity. The basis of all unity is truth. And so, so what Hezekiah did is he sent this declaration out to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And by the way, the northern kingdom, those tribes had, many of them had completely rebelled against God and were still worshiping the gods of the Assyrians. And yet Hezekiah sent that letter out to them anyway. Why? Because he wanted to get them to the place where they would turn to the Lord and turn away from their idols. And he was trying to bring all of Israel together. Now, so this is the thing. Now, look, look secondly with me, the readiness of the Passover. So what's the readiness for the Passover? Well, in, in verse 6, Hezekiah begins to lay out uh, some, some warnings and some promises to help them be prepared when they get to Jerusalem for the Passover. I want you to look at them with me. The first thing is, is the exhortation to return. He, he says here in the middle of verse 6, You children of Israel... Turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you. So what was the first thing he said? He says, return. Now, if you go down to verse number 8, he says, yield yourself. If you go to verse 9, he says, turn again unto the Lord. So what is he saying? He sends these letters out. He said, please, let's come. Let's worship together. Let's celebrate God setting us free from Egyptian bondage. Let's praise God for what he done, for how he set us free. And he says, but when you come, you must come repentant. You must come turning to the Lord from who you were, from what you were doing. You must come in repentance. And if you don't come in repentance, he says, listen, God won't accept it. You see, this is something that you and I need to grab a hold of. Because what it talks about here is the returning first to surrender. I mean, this word in verse 8, it says, yield yourselves. Here, here's what that word means in the Hebrew. It, it means to give your hand to. So it, it's a picture of a, of a wedding as we see a wedding. How many agree today when you have a wedding? Typically, the bride's father gives away the bride. Y'all agree with that? Say amen. 
So what does he do? Well, he takes the bride's hand and he places it in the hand of the bridegroom. In other words, symbolically saying that I now separate myself in the fashion that she is willingly and I am willingly as a father to give to this man my daughter. And she is saying I'm willing to give myself to him as his bride, which means biblically that she's willing to come under his leadership and his headship. Now, I know in today's society, we don't like that. But I got news for you, it's biblical. You you say, well, I didn't sign up for that when I got married. Well, you didn't get married biblically then. Because the man is to be the head of the home. The spiritual leader, the protector, and the provider of the home. And the priest of the home. And the wife is to come under the leadership of the husband. And so the picture here is, it's what Hezekiah is saying. He said, listen, come to Jerusalem. Let's, let's take the Passover together as one people, as one family of God. And he says, and you do it with a heart and attitude that you're willing to surrender yourself totally and unequivocally to him. So it was a call to surrender. So this return, this exhortation to return, was speaking of the fact that they would come back to the place where God would be sovereign, God would be the head, and God would be in control of their lives. Because remember, they've been living years in idolatry. And they've been living years not allowing God to be in control, but themselves to be in control. They chose what they wanted to do, what they wanted to worship. And they had lost all idea of God being in control of their lives. Now, but not only was it a returning to surrender, but it was returning to service. Look at verse 8. He says, yield yourselves, middle verse 8, unto the Lord, even into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God. Now you say, well, what does that word serve mean? It means to worship. The service he's talking about here is worship. Because them obeying God, it was service, i.e. worship. He says here to him, he says in verse 7, And be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, and who therefore gave them up to desolation. So what was he saying? Learn from your fathers. How many agree? If anybody could understand this, Hezekiah could, being Ahaz, being his father. And here's what, here's what Hezekiah, now this is all that's in the letter. He, he says, listen, you return to Jerusalem, let's take of the Passover, rightly related to God. And he said, if you're having any contemplations about not coming, he said, remember the obstinance of your fathers. How they rebelled against God. And then he says this. Remember the outcome of your father. Notice what it says in the bottom of verse 7. Who sent you into desolation? God did. God gave them up to desolation. Why? Chastisement. So in other words, here's what Hezekiah is saying. He said, if you have any inclination of not coming in repentance to worship God as God has commanded us to do, he said, then I want you to do two things. I want you to remember the sins of your fathers. And then here's the second thing he's saying. How'd that come out for him? How'd they do with that? God sent him in captivity. 
So what was the underlying principle of Hezekiah saying? This is obedience to the, to, the, to the command of God. And if you do like your fathers does, God will do what he did to your fathers. And you won't get away with it. You say, well, I don't serve a God like that. Well, can I tell you? The reason he is a God like that is because he loves you. What's Hebrews say? Whom he loves, he chastens. How many of y'all agree today that the reason our young folks in America today act like they act, and I'm talking about in general as a whole. I'm not talking about individuals. Y'all say amen. But in a whole, how many agree that the young folks in our country today act like they act because parents don't step up and do discipline to their children? The Bible says that if we don't do that, we don't love our children. You say, where's that at? Proverbs. So what's the greatest way God shows his love for you? And me. When I rebel against him, he don't let me get away with it. Y'all say amen. I mean, it's glorious truth. You say, well, it's not glorious to me. Oh, it is. Because I promise you, if God let you alone, you wouldn't be happy. Matter of fact, if you're saved, he can never leave you alone. That's just extra credit. Y'all say amen. All right, so, so what do we find here? We find here, we find the, the reporting of the Passover, and then we find the readiness of the Passover because he exhorts them to return and he exhorts them to remember. Now notice the third thing, the reassurance of the Passover. So he gives these warnings, and then he, he tackles those war, or tags on those warnings with glorious, glorious promises. He said, if you obey, if you obey, if you come, if you take this invitation serious, he said, listen to what God will do. Now notice he's with me. I want you to see it. Verse 6 is the first one, the returning of the favor of the Lord. Notice what he says. Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that were escaped out of the land of the king of the Syrians. And you say, what do you mean he'll return unto them? Here's what he means. He'll put his favor back on them. How many agree today that if, you, if you're truly saved, God will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you all agree with that? Say amen. I mean, that's a glorious truth, is it not? But how many agree today you can be saved indwelt, and still not walk in the favor of God. You say, how's that possible? Pastor, you've been telling us for six years now that when we got saved, we have all that we need to live the Christian life. You do. And all of that is by the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Whatever God commands us to do, that we give ourselves to, how many agree God equips us to do it? And it's God that brings forth the fruit of it. All right? But what if the Holy Spirit's quenched and grieved in your life? Then God's not going to manifest himself to you. And see, here's, here's Israel, especially the northern kingdom. I mean, many of them still worshiping idols. Many of them still rebelling against God. And, and, and you're going to find out tonight, even some of the priests get under conviction. And what happens is that God has not got his favor upon them. Why? Because they're not walking in fellowship. And here's the promise God gave them. He said, but listen, if you'll take this invitation serious, 
And you'll return to a place of surrender. And you'll return to a place of service. And you'll, you'll give your hand unto the Lord in absolute surrender. Here's what God said he would do. He will return unto you in favor. Now, how many agree? Isn't it a glorious thing to know that if I'm walking in proper fellowship, everything I put my hands to in obedience to God, God's favor is going to be on it? But how many times have we put our hands to things and it just blew up in our face? But here's the question. How many times did we do that and we didn't learn from it? And by the way, just because somebody's having it good right now doesn't mean God's favor's on it. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Doesn't mean that at all. Because the favor of God has to do with spiritual things, not physical things. Now, God can bless us physically. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. But, but at the same time, this is a spiritual thing. Now, so, so, so this is the first promise he gives, the return of the favor of God. Notice the second one, the relinquishment of the fierceness of the Lord. Notice what he says at the bottom of verse 8. He said, if you'll, if, you'll sanctif- if you'll come back to the sanctuary, which he is sanctified forever and serve the Lord, your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the chastisement of God. Why? Because remember, God had sent many of them into captivity, and some of them were still in captivity, especially in the northern kingdom. And here's what God said. He said, if you'll return unto me, if if you give your hand unto me and surrender in service, he said, then listen, I will turn away any chastisement from you. You say, well, preacher, I thought if I'm saved, there's no condemnation of them in Christ Jesus. There is. Aren't you glad for that? Say amen. But how many agree? God can correct you. As a matter of fact, tonight you're going to find out specifically what God did for him. Because you're going to find out the reality of these promises coming true tonight. So what's the glory of obeying God? You receive of him everything that you need. And he keeps away from you everything that you don't need. If you need correction, he'll give it. But if you're walking in right fellowship, he don't have to. Isn't that good to know? Say amen. Now, I'll say this to you. If, if you think you're saved and you're living in sin and, and you're not experiencing chastisement, then here's the reality of it. You've never been saved. See, that's the glory of it all. All right, so notice the third promise he gives. Not only do you find the returning of the favor of the Lord, the relinquishment of the fierceness of the Lord, but the release of the family of the Lord. Look what it says in the beginning of verse 9. For if you return again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive. Now you say, what is that talking about? You remember the oppression of the Assyrians? Many of them had already been set free, but some of them hadn't been set free yet. And the Assyrians are still controlling what takes place in the northern kingdom. And here's what God said. God said, if you return to me, I'll do a work in a heathen people whereby they'll show compassion to you and let you free. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that's binding you right now? Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's something. I mean, just every time that someone or something comes up, you get bound. 
Can I tell you the greatest way in which that could stop? Get in right fellowship with the Lord. Because the song we sung, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, they're not talking about some of your chains. They're talking about all your chains. He'll free the family of that. One last promise. Look what it says. The reality of the face of the Lord. Watch the bottom of verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. What does it mean, the face of the Lord? It means he'll receive your worship. How many in here want to be worshipers? All right. So if I told you, if you really desire to be a worshiper, if I told you that surrender and obedience is the pathway whereby God accepts your worship, then you tell me how important is it? Because this is the condition he's making here. Notice what he says, you return to me and I will not turn my face from you. You surrender to me again and I won't turn my face. Here's the thing. I don't know, we probably had 140 in the early service. Probably got 110, 120 here in the second service. What would happen tonight if every one of us spent the day allowing the Lord to search our hearts and we dealt with every single thing that God shows us in our life and we came back tonight together in right fellowship with God? What y'all think would happen tonight? Well, I'll tell you this. It'd probably be midnight before you go to bed. Because God would so manifest himself in this place, it'd be unreal. Are y'all with me? Say amen. See, this is what he's saying here. He said your worship will be received. Your worship will be accepted. Your worship will be a sweet-smelling savor. Unto me, I will not turn my face away. Well, the returning of the favor of the Lord, the relinquishing of the fierceness of the Lord, the reality of the face of the Lord. Notice lastly, and I'm done, the response to the Passover. So this letter went out to all of them. Gave the warnings, gave the promises. Boy, aren't they great promises? Say amen. So what do you think the response of the people were? Well, I mean, you would think, well, reading, the, reading that letter, and this is, this is what's going to happen if I disobey. This is what's going to happen if I obey. Glory! Let's all go! No. Matter of fact, what happened with Israel when the letter went out is the same thing that's going to happen tonight here. You say, what are you talking about? Some of you are going to obey, some of you are not. Y- y'all say amen. I mean, it's the truth. Notice, notice this with me. You first see the rebellious people. Notice verse number 10. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, which is the northern kingdom, even to Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So what did they say? Now remember, 
The, the last promise he got him was in, in verse 9. He said, God is gracious and merciful and wants, will not turn his face from you. In other words, he wants to show you this grace and this mercy. He said, just come, repent, turn to the Lord, give your hand to the Lord and surrender, and God will be all this for you. And here, here's, what they, here's what some of them responded. <laughs> I don't need that. Can I ask you a question? Now, y'all going to love me say amen. You say, well, I'm visiting, I don't know you. Well, you're commanded to love me anyway. Y'all say amen. <laughs> All right, now listen to me. If you're saved today, did God set you free? If you're saved today, is it all because of the blood of Jesus? If you're saved today, is it all because God, the Lord gave of his own body on a cross to die in your place? If you're saved today, there's a death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus paved the pathway which you could be reconciled to God. And it was the only pathway that could be paved. All right, so if you're saved today, did you experience that forgiveness and grace because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus? All right, so then let me ask you a question. Anybody that's experienced that salvation, why in the world would they even have any inkling of not wanting to come and take the Lord's table? Which celebrates all that. Why? You see, this is what happened. There, were, there was those that said, we don't need this. You say, well, preacher, I don't have to take the Lord's Supper to be saved. No, you don't. But if you're saved, you'll want to. You say, well, I'm going to be providentially hindered tonight. I'm not talking about just tonight. I'm talking about in general. All right, now, let's look at the last thing and I'm done. Not only see the rebellious people, but you see the receptive people. Watch this with me. I mean, this is amazing to me. All right, so, so you had all these from the, from the northern tribe that laughed and scorned. But look at verse 11. Nevertheless, divers, many of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun, which were also of the northern kingdom, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So in other words, many of their kin, if you will, laughed to scorn. We don't need that. We don't need that. I don't have to go do that. And yet, here was this group that received the invitation. We're willing to surrender. We're willing to return. We're willing to repent. And it didn't matter to them what everybody else around them was doing. What mattered to them that they were obeying God. You see, these were the sacrificial. Because, see, worshiping the Lord the way God said to worship was more important to them than any chastisement they would get from their fellow brothers and sisters. Notice lastly, not only the sacrificial, but the solidarity. Remember what I started with? What was, what was Hezekiah's purpose in sending this letter to all of Israel? Not just the southern kingdom. He wanted to bring them together in unity. Y'all remember that? Watch what happened. Look at verse number 12. And in Judah, the hand of the Lord was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and the princes by the word of the Lord. So you had these two tribes of the northern kingdom were willing to come. Now you have, what does it say? Judah. And it says the hand of the Lord gave them what? I didn't hear you. What? It gave you what? One heart to do what? Obey the commandments of the Lord. 
So let's, let's do it this way. I have a passionate desire to be at peace in my fellowship with the Lord when I take of this table tonight. Donald, do you? Mickey, do you? Brandon, do you? So what happens if all of us do? One heart. One heart. Why? There's one Lord. So what was the outflow of all this? Just as God designed. Unity. Unity. You say, preacher, we don't have unity here? Oh, we do. Listen, listen. this is the best church I've ever been a part of in my life. And I've preached in over 100 churches. See, unity is not a problem here, but can it be a problem with individuals? Absolutely. So, so the thing is, when we come to take the Lord's table, let's all have the same heart. You say, how do I get that? Let God do it. And when we do, we're ready to take of the bread, of the cup. And that's what it means to take worthy. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. I just pray you glorify yourself in what you do and how you do it. Manifest yourself in a unique and a mighty way. In this time of invitation, I pray that beginning right here, right now, we would begin to allow you to just search us, Lord, and, and let us see anything that we need to allow you to root out of us or anything we need to deal with before tonight. That, Father, when we all come back tonight, when we all come back tonight, because we have a deep desire to worship you in the ordinance that you gave to the church, the only ordinance you gave to the church that represents your, your death, burial, and resurrection. When we come together tonight, Father, it would be a time of rejoicing. It would be a time of joy. It would be a time of, of remembrance. It would be a time of celebration. It would be a time to be able to just worship you that, Lord, I know the day you saved me. I know the day you set me free. And it's all because you gave your body Body, and you shed your blood when I didn't deserve it. So, Father, let us just be real this morning. Let us obey you in whatever way we need to obey you. Father, if it's coming and getting on an altar and just doing some time of confession, if it's, if it's, Dealing with something else in our life. Father, maybe, maybe there's individuals here that you, you believe this is where they're supposed to be and they need to obey you in that. Whatever it is, Father, it doesn't matter. Let us just obey you. That We can be in right fellowship with you. When we come back tonight, it would just be a sweet time of worship. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said,